0: One of the oldest books on my shelf is John Bunyan's The Pilgrim's Progress, the famous allegory of the Christian life published over 300 years ago. The famous hymn, Who Would True Valor See?, is taken directly from his text. John Bunyan was the pastor of an early non-conformist church in Bedford, an early Puritan. He spent over 12 years in prison for his beliefs. Bunyan's life and ministry remains an influence in South Bucks, especially, but globally, because of the abiding popularity of his story of Christian. Pilgrim's Progress is rightly famous for the giant despair, for the slough of despond, for vanity fair, for the burden of sin which rolls from Christian's back at the foot of the cross. I first read Bunyan as a young Christian, and have returned to Pilgrim's Progress many times. One summer, when I was a vicar, we preached a memorable series of all-age sermons on the different stages of Christian's journey, and I remember very clearly doing battle in the Isle of the Church with the giant despair and only just escaping. The book is probably best known now as an illustrated story for children. The last year has seen a new animated film of Pilgrim's Progress and a feature film, Heaven Quest, neither of which I have yet seen. At the very end of Christian's journey, after many twists and turns and trials, he arrives at last at a great river, symbolising death. There is no bridge over this river, and there is no way round it. I quote, Now I further saw that betwixt them and the gate was a river, but there was no bridge to go over, the river was very deep, At the sight, therefore, of this river, the pilgrims were much astounded. But the men that went with them said, You must come through, or you cannot come at the gate. Christian and Hopeful search for another way, but this river cannot be bypassed. Eventually, they step into the flowing water. Christian begins to sink. Hopeful supports his friend. They quote the scriptures to one another until Christian says at the very last, And Christ tells me, When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee, and through the rivers they shall not overflow thee. Then they both took courage, and the enemy was after that as still as a stone, until they were gone over. Christian and John Bunyan offer this quotation, in the face and midst of death. The quotation is from Isaiah 43, from the prophet who sings to us so many comfortable words. This is the full passage. But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. The passage goes on to speak of the way in which God will ransom Israel. And how much God loves them. Because you are precious in my sight and honored. And I love you. God will gather his people together again, scattered throughout the earth in their exile. These are undoubtedly words of great comfort in their original context, and every time they are read aloud in church today, they're well worth learning by heart. This passage was the Old Testament lesson at Bishop Collins' farewell service in Dorchester Abbey a couple of weeks ago. The words are powerful ones to hear in the midst of the pandemic. They would have been as powerful for the generation at the end of the exile. God is speaking words of great comfort to his people. Their punishment is over. Their strength is returning as they wait upon the Lord. They are called to leave their fear behind, to rise up and journey back across the desert to their homes. They are to be led by a new kind of leader, the servant who will not break the bruised reed. Many dangers may beset them on the way, but now the prophet sings they will not be overwhelmed by the rivers or consumed by the flames. This is to be a new exodus as we read elsewhere. The seas will part before the Israelites so they can cross on dry land and the prophecy was indeed fulfilled. The exiles did return and rebuild. But these words went on providing comfort and consolation to the people of God. The author of the stories in the book of Daniel may have had them in mind. Remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the burning fiery furnace, dating from a time of bitter persecution against the Jews. When you pass through fire, you will not be burned but the interpretation offered by John Bunyan is the most natural one for Christians. It is of enormous comfort to know that God loves us, and will not abandon us in this life, that God is with us in all of our trials, that the rivers will not overwhelm us, and the fires will not consume us, whatever may happen. But in the light of the death and resurrection of Christ, the words find their deepest meaning, as in Bunyan's story as we prepare to face the last and greatest trial of our lives, the river which is death and our own mortality. The waters in the Old Testament are more often than not the waters of chaos and death, the floods which overwhelm us. This is life's final and greatest challenge to each of us. The prophet's song, in the light of our faith in Christ, is the deep song of reassurance in the face of our own mortality. When thou passest through the waters I will be with thee, and through the rivers they shall not overflow thee. It was a very great privilege just a few weeks ago to ordain four new priests in the Oxford area of the diocese. The ordination was in St Michael's and All Angels in Summertown, with just a small number of people gathered, because of the restrictions, and more watching online. Normally ordinations are very large and grand affairs, often in cathedrals. I found this one strangely moving, I think because it was so small. This was simply about the grace of God and the candidates, and the ministry to which they were ordained. There's a passage in the ordination service called The Charge, which sets out the scope of the ministry of the priest. And I was struck in this time of Covid by this phrase describing what priests are to do. They are to bless the people in God's name. They are to resist evil, support the weak, defend the poor, and intercede for all in need. They are to minister to the sick and prepare the dying for their death. It was the last part of that phrase which has stayed with me. They are to prepare the dying for their death. This is part of priestly ministry. This is an area where each of us will need help and preparation. Bearing in mind this powerful song of Isaiah 43, what might it mean for each of us to be well prepared for death? I have received a number of letters during this lockdown period from people advising me that the church and the bishops should be doing more in this area or that. The ones I have had most sympathy with have been asking for a greater focus on exactly this area of ministry, on eternal realities, on human mortality, on preparing, in Bunyan's words, to cross the river, and teaching us not to be afraid, For we will not be overwhelmed. Some of the most difficult and painful letters I've received have been from those who could not accompany their loved ones in the very final hours because of COVID. In the early weeks of the disease, especially, there were very moving stories of nurses and doctors taking iPads into intensive care wards so that the dying and their relatives could have at least some connection in their final hours. I think there's a much better understanding now of the need to make that connection as full as we possibly can, and immense care is being taken, especially by our hospital chaplains, to ensure good care in death and in bereavement. But what might it mean, I wonder, to take the ordinal at its word? What elements are important in preparing the dying for their death? Why is this a key part of the ministry of a priest? Well, it's a broad subject, but let me offer you five themes which I think need to be reflected in all our preparation for death and for dying, whether we speak about our own death or the deaths of those close to us. They're very simple. My first is to remember and to know That the experience of death for human beings is universal. We will all of us pass through this river. There is no way around it, there is no bridge across it. It is absolutely certain in this life that we will die. We are mortal, and if we are wise, we will live in the knowledge of our mortality. Although, thankfully, in normal times we live in a time and place where there is a generous life expectancy by historical global averages, life and death are both unpredictable. And on a Christian understanding, this mortality of ours is a gift. Our lives have a fixed term. They do not last forever. And that ought to teach us to savour each day To make the most of each moment, to thank God for every opportunity of grace. Preparing the dying for their death is something which needs to happen through the whole of our lives, not simply at the end. We live in the light of our mortality. But my second is a cry of protest. On a Christian understanding, death is always a bad thing to be lamented. That is true of our own death and the deaths of others, especially those we love. There is inevitable sadness and difficulty at the end of any human life. We must not disguise it or overlay it with cheerfulness. Grief is very real and very painful. It is a very deep and core part of our humanity to cry out in protest at the fact of our own death or the death of another person. The book of Isaiah, in an earlier section, calls death a shroud which covers all the earth, a shadow over the whole face of the earth. In the story of the first man and the first woman in Genesis 2 and 3, death is not an original part of the creation, which God saw was very good. Death is a consequence of rebellion and of turning away from God. Death is never something to be finally accepted in Christian theology. Although we may find peace and resolution in relation to a particular death, our own or someone else's, some part of us will still rage against the dying of the light. In the tension between these two first points, the inevitability of our mortality, and death as a bad thing, we find the third part of what it means to prepare for death. To know and understand that Jesus Christ has conquered death. This is the grounds and the reason that Bunyan applies Isaiah 43 to every Christian's journey to the river. Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross, a ransom, To use the words of this text, Jesus Christ rose again from the dead on the third day. Christ died so that we might rise with him. Every baptism is a memorial and an anticipation of our death and resurrection. As we go down into the waters, our old self dies with Christ. Our new self rises again with Christ to live abundantly and forever. Every Eucharist is a memorial of the death and resurrection of Christ. We look back to the gift of his life, to his body broken, to his blood shed. We look forward in the hope of resurrection, to the great banquet in heaven. Every time we celebrate the sacraments of Christ's death and resurrection, baptism and the Eucharist, we are preparing for life and also preparing for our death. My fourth theme is the call to find and live in the place where we are able to live without fear of death, to live abundantly and fruitfully, accepting our mortality and in confident hope of the resurrection. Finding this place, it seems to me, is a continual challenge throughout our lives. It will mean certainly in the second half of life, making sure our affairs are in order. There are certain practical tasks it is our Christian responsibility to fulfill in respect of wills and debts and instructions and responsible planning. But there is also our continuous spiritual preparation. It is instructive to reflect and think about the different ways of responding to death in Scripture. Simeon, in Luke's Gospel, is ready to leave this life once he has held the infant Jesus. Now let your servant depart in peace. Christ himself in the Garden of Gethsemane has to wrestle with the bitterness of death. Paul and Silas in the prison cell at Philippi are able to sing hymns to God, not knowing what awaits them the next morning. And Paul, when he writes to the Philippians, draws immense strength and joy from facing his own fear of death and dying. He famously writes, For to me living is Christ, and dying is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labour for me, and I do not know which I prefer. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. We may, in different places in our lives, at different points, be able to reach an equilibrium with death and live well. But then something new might disturb us, another phase of our lives, the death of someone we love, the birth of a child, or the glimpse of a new future. For many of us, the present COVID-19 crisis will have disturbed our security at a deep level, and the fear which has been deep below the waters may have surfaced. To prepare well for death in the present moment means facing those fears, difficult though they are, and realising ever more deeply the love and the promises of Christ. When you pass through the waters I will be with you, through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. God invites us to step out of the shadows. We are not to live in fear in the shadow of death. If you are not able to find that equilibrium in and of yourself, then you are certainly not alone in that. You may want to speak to a priest. Remember that priests are ordained prepare the dying for their death even in the midst of life. And the final part of living with our mortality and preparing well for death is to bear witness in the whole of our lives to the depth of our Christian faith in our actions and in our words. The world around us is seeking guidance and truth and meaning in the face of the most testing season we have known within most of our lifetimes. Those who have written to me on these themes are absolutely right. The Church must not be silent on matters of life and death and of eternity, when there is so much need of hope. We must gently and graciously invite others to know and explore, and then cleave to the Lord, whom we know loves them. Imagine again, if you will, in Bunyan's picture, Christian and hopeful standing on the bank of the river, facing the flowing waters of death, and knowing that they must cross. And here again, if you will, with that picture in your mind, the profound and life-changing truths of Isaiah 43. But now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you.